A reading from To Bless the Space Between Us by Irish poet John O'Donohue, and I'm reading from page five. Before it occurs, a beginning can be a long time in preparation. This is why some beginnings take off with great assuredness, and one can instinctively recognize that the right direction has been chosen. Without any struggle, one enters into a fluency that seemed to have been awaiting one's choice. Other beginnings are awkward and slow, and it takes considerable time before the new path opens or welcomes one. Sometimes beginnings can catch us unawares. Often when something is ending, we discover within it the spore of new beginning, and a whole new train of possibility is in motion before we even realize it. When the heart is ready for a fresh beginning, unforeseen things can emerge. And in a sense, this is exactly what a beginning does. It is an opening for surprises. Surrounding the intention and the act of beginning, there are always exciting possibilities. This inevitably excites artists. So much can actually happen between the moment the brush is taken into the hand and the moment it touches the canvas. Such beginnings have their own mind, and they invite and unveil new gifts and arrivals in one's life. Beginnings are new horizons that want to be seen. They are not regressions or repetitions. Somehow they win clearance and become fiercely free of the grip of the past. Somehow they win clearance and become fiercely free of the grip of the past. What is the new horizon in you that wants to be seen? Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heart Lift with Janelle. I'm so happy to have you here. As always, we are We are developing our healthy sense of self, our healthy behavior patterns, and our healthy communication skills. This summer, we're working our way through a summer season of reset. We are on tool four of my new book, Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You. And we're moving into what I like to call the second movement, part two, educate. Educate. The verb comes from the Latin root E-D-U-C-O, educo, educo, to lead out. It means to teach, train, or inform someone. Education, then, is to draw out or unfold the powers of the mind. I was taught this definition, oh my goodness, 36 years ago, from the Webster's 1828, this beautiful big green linen covered uh, 
original dictionary by Noah Webster himself. And I was trained as a teacher in the principal approach. And a huge foundation stone of that methodology is to draw out of the student, to unfold from the powers of their mind, their own capacity to a great teacher, a great leader, a great parent, a great friend, a great person, is one who can lead and teach and guide themselves to be self-governed, to be self-educated, to be self-taught, to be self-loved. And that's what we do here. And this week in Tool 4, we are talking about something so near and dear to my heart, and it is how to shift in our lives from shaming language to gracing language. And I divided these two languages into gracing being God's language of love and shaming liar or the devil or Satan, however you want to talk about the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our existence, I believe he speaks to us in the language of shame. And so to shift from shaming to gracing, we are going to have to learn a lot about the tool of self-compassion. Author Kristen Neff, the founder of the mindful, the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, she says this about self-compassion. Having compassion for oneself is really no different than having compassion for others. Think about what the experience of compassion feels like. First, to have compassion for others, you must notice that they are suffering. If you ignore that homeless person on the street, you can't feel compassion for how difficult his or her experience is. Second, Compassion involves feeling moved by others' suffering so that your heart responds to their pain. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. When this occurs, you feel warmth, caring, and the desire to help the suffering person in some way. Having compassion also means that you offer understanding and kindness to others when they fail or make mistakes rather than judging them harshly. Finally, when you feel compassion for another rather than just mere pity, it means that you realize that suffering, failure, and imperfection is part of the shared human experience. There but for fortune go I. In the Christian worldview, a lot of times we say, but for the grace of God. Self-compassion, she says, involves acting the same way towards yourself when you're having a difficult time fail, or notice something you don't like about yourself. Instead of just ignoring your pain with a stiff upper lip mentality, you stop to tell yourself, this is really difficult right now. How can I comfort and care for myself in this moment? I'm going to repeat that because this really is the takeaway in many ways of tool four. Because we will not escape difficult times, heartlifters. They're just not going to go away. It's part of living in this fallen world that we find ourselves in. And so this one truth that Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, teaches us to stop and tell yourself, Janelle, this is really difficult right now. How can you comfort and care for yourself 
in this moment. I want you to put your name in there and ask yourself, how can I care and comfort for myself in this moment? In my work, especially my trauma care work, my trauma with my trauma clients, one of the most essential overarching goals in our arduous heartlifting journey is to cross the finish line feeling fully embodied, meaning you're in your skin, you know who you are, you know whose you are, you know how to think for yourself, you know how to talk for yourself, you understand your purpose, you know that you were breathed into by God himself to be present in this moment in life. And you walk through life from a real sense of security and stability and safety. And when we do that, (laughs) then we know how to care and comfort ourselves. That's really the ultimate goal. Not to be this independent being who doesn't need anyone, but to be a strong, healthy, autonomous human being who knows that she knows or he knows that they are cared for, seen, loved, heard, valued, and they belong. And that is an inner work that takes some time. So I have a few other episodes that I'd like to refer you to today just so you can have more teaching and more knowledge to fuel your journey towards uh, that finish line we're talking about. So you can refer back to Season 5, Episode 9 with Dr. Chuck DeGroat, Becoming Stronger by Becoming Wholehearted, and then Season 5's bonus episode with Dr. Kurt Thompson. And Dr. Kurt Thompson wrote the book, The Soul of Shame. And if you haven't read it, it is worth your time if you really maybe have a footing of shame language in your life. I I think we've all had some. Some of us have had more than others. And so to shift from shaming to gracing, he just offers so much wisdom. And I write about him, of course, in Tool 4 because he's just such a leader in the shame, understanding shame and the soul of shame. And so also Brene Brown as well. She brought a incredibly difficult topic to us and made us understand it. She is where my, my journey started with Brene. And then I moved on to Dr. Kurt Thompson and then back to Brene and back to Kurt. So, and then Dr. Chuck DeGroat. Kristen Neff writes in conclusion, Instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. I'm going to repeat it. Self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect. I think this is a great time to pause our our time together here for just a minute and really sit with that statement and examine your heart here and ask yourself, who in the world ever told you you had to be perfect? Now, if you know the Enneagram, we love our Enneagram ones. 
but they tend to, they were initially called the perfecter or the perfectionist. Uh, I love that Dr. Ian Cron now calls them, I don't think he's a doctor, I'm sorry. Ian Cron calls them uh, the improvers. Some schools call them the reformers, but they are going to always point out what sh- things ought to be. If they, if they need to be called this, that's what they should be called. They are going to let us know um, the absolute proper way something should be done. Uh, they, they just can't help themselves. I'm married to one. I love him dearly. I've come to understand him in such an incredible way through the power of the Enneagram and he, me. And so me plus you equals we has gotten much stronger in our marriage. So we want to just ask that question and keep it in the forefront of our mind as we're working through tool four, self-compassion. Whoever told me I had to be perfect, because certainly God does not. God's idea of perfection is maturity. You can look that up. You can study that yourself. You can go to blueletterbible.com and and check that out. But Christ implores us to be mature, to be fully ripened, to constantly be growing and deepening our roots, like Psalm 1 says, and abiding on the vine, like John 15. So as you move with me through this tool, I want you to just keep thinking about it and mulling over, oh, why am I so hard on myself? There's so much in this tool, trust me, so much. There's a beautiful shame shakedown prayer, and you can go to JanelleRairdon.com slash Stronger Every Day, and you'll find it there at the bottom. It's a meditation that you can just let soak over you. But I'm landing today on, starting on page 120, Grace Transforms Your Story. Tool four also gets very personal for me. I share a story about... um, a college experience where I thought I was pregnant and was, of course, not married. And it was just a time of great shame in my life. It was unveiling how I was living a facade. I was not really being my true, true self. And I've talked about it before. So today I wanted to just kind of continue the um, the processing of that story. So if you haven't read my story you need to go ahead and pick up Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You. It is on Amazon. It's wherever books are sold. It's in your local bookstores, your indie bookstores. It's just everywhere, which is amazing. It's on Target.com, Walmart.com. And read Shift from Shaming to Gracing. And you can read my story. It begins on 106, 107, 108. And right here on page 120, I add some processing. I write... Today is no ordinary day. It is the day grace transforms your story. Shame can't exist when we embrace and speak healing words over every single area of our lives. And just just for a pause here, let's make sure that we understand what shame really means. Dr. Brene Brown really says it best. She defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. 
She writes, I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. I just think that's so powerful. So shame can't exist, you see. There's no possible way for it to even be a seed in our lives when we learn to embrace and speak healing words over ourselves. It begins inside of our own hearts. You know that. Heartlifters, that's what we stand on. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, take care of your own heart. For absolutely everything in life is influenced by what comes out of your heart. But like me, perhaps in your early years, there were seeds of shame that were planted in your foundational development. And so you have had to work real hard here and maybe are still wondering, how can I shake off this shame and live into a life of grace? A long time ago, I write on page 121, another woman found the amazing grace of Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us much about her circumstances, only that the people in her town shunned and shamed her. We don't even know her name. We don't know her family of origin. We don't know anything about her history of hurts. We only know that she lived in a town in Samaria called Sychar. It's written about in the book of John, chapter 4. She had five husbands and was currently living with another man. We aren't told if her five husbands died or they divorced her. We, We just don't know. All we know is that she had five of them, giving the impression that she wasn't highly accepted or belonged, in a sense, or regarded well in her community. We can read between the lines of her story and sense the shaming attendance at work. One hot afternoon, while doing an ordinary daily task, she had a life-changing shift from shame to grace. At an ordinary well in her ordinary city, she met a seemingly ordinary man who actually appeared to know everything about her. (laughs) It'd probably freak me out. I can't help but wonder, I write, if she could tell us her story, what would she say? I can't tell you how how many years I sat at this well in John 4 with John and this Samaritan woman. I got to know her very well, very well, and I saw so much of myself in her. So I took some creative license in Tool 4, and I pretended that I found her journal and it had been discovered in an archaeological dig of that area. And so we're privy to her thoughts, and we open to her entry. The day I met the man called Jesus. She begins. It was a hot day. With each breath of the thick, humid air, it felt harder and harder to put one foot in front of the other. The taste of dust coated my tongue. Sweat dripped down my face like muddy tears. Today, even my bones ached. The chatter inside my head was as chaotic and confusing as my life. I couldn't help but wonder how my life had come to this. I thought, why am I more tired than usual today? I'm exhausted. 
Is it because of the harsh words spoken to me yesterday? Are they weighing heavy on me like a blanket of lead? Are the years and years and years of aches and pains and abuse and heartbreak now forming one big ache? Finally, she writes, I saw Jacob's well, a sight for my very sore feet. It was not much further. I kept telling myself over and over again, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Put one foot in front of the other. Left, right, left, rest. Left, right, left, rest. It would have been so much easier in the early morning hours, but coming at noon saved me from the judging eyes of the other women. Maybe one day, but not today. I am so done with their glaring and their staring. Don't they know I can hear their whispers? I saw him sitting on the edge of the well, alone and seemingly content to be there. The bricks were cool, I supposed, a welcome relief from the heat of the day. I wanted to sit down, but that would have caused even more scandal, and I didn't need any more scandal. From the way he was dressed, I could tell he was a Jew, so not only a man, but a Jewish man. I put my water pitcher down and placed my hand on my burning shoulder, rubbing it in hopes of easing the pain. More thoughts rolled through my mind. When would somebody care about me? When? When will I matter? When? When would I ever feel like I belong in this world, in this community? When will I ever be nurtured? I was so tired. I'd had enough. I wanted to go to sleep. Yes, sleep forever and ever. No one would miss me, I said, that's for sure. Suddenly, he spoke. His dialect, again pointing to his Jewish heritage. His voice was bold and strong, and oddly, caring. Like a concerned father might speak to a distressed daughter. He didn't speak to me like other men. No, he really didn't speak to me like all the other men. His voice was different. Very very different, actually. Men in my city didn't talk to me, at least not with the kindness I heard in this man's voice. There was something definitely unique about him. I couldn't put my finger on it, but suddenly I didn't feel like falling asleep anymore. In fact, I felt wider awake than ever. His eyes were warm, they were welcoming, insightful, as if he looked straight through me and right into my soul. At first, I felt very uncomfortable, but his words and his presence calmed me. I I wasn't even sure what that feeling was. felt so strange. Little did I know at that very moment how much my life was about to change, how I I was going to experience in my own heart lift a, a shifting from that awful feeling that I have felt my whole life almost and 
that feeling of shame and Listening to her journal entry, supposing that we did encounter the words she may have actually written down, would you add anything to that? As I was reading it, did any other thoughts come to your mind? Maybe go back and listen. Receive it as a meditation. Maybe listen to it again and again. And allow your heart, mind, soul, and body... to recognize or become aware of, I feel that way. I felt that way. So I continue on page 123. A Jesus encounter changes everything. And this rich conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is told to us through the eyes of beloved John. A man who walked with Jesus and was very close to Jesus, actually one of the closest, and he was an eyewitness, as scholars call him, to Jesus' ministry here on earth. I love the book of John, the Gospel of John. And maybe you have been hurt by the church or you're wandering around wondering how to reframe your faith after COVID and everything that's gone on. Just take some time and read through John. It really will introduce you to the Jesus I know and love so beautifully. So I I offer you that and ask you to read that in the middle of Tool 4. And then I talk about meeting Jesus for the first time. It doesn't matter how many times I read this story I write on page 124. It always gets to me. I connect so deeply to this woman's distress and feelings of loneliness. I empathize with her hidden struggle with shame. I sense we experienced the same quiet loneliness and deep longing to be seen and valued and worthy of real love. It seems she, too, was settling for a little bit of love being better than no love, because that's what I did. Have you ever done that? Settled for a little bit of love that's better than no love, or even settled for a little bit of love and a whole lot of abuse, but I'm going to stick with it because I still am getting a little bit of love. Perhaps you didn't even know why you're doing that, and she didn't understand either. Something tells me she heard the same shame attendant say to her, this shame whisper, this dominant shame whisper that was dominant in my life for close to six decades. When and if you show your true self, nobody will love you. You will be all alone, Janelle. I'm going to ask you in this tool to write down the shame whispers that you have heard in your life. I know that I know they're familiar whispers. Something like maybe mine back in the day. Good girls don't get pregnant out of wedlock. Good girls follow all the rules. Good girls stifle their true voice and stand on the white line of fear and insecurity. Good girls never make mistakes. Good girls always do what is expected of them and more. Good girls who do good deeds get into heaven. Heartlifters, I've taken a leap and I want you to join me. In 1989, 
Kevin Costner played an Iowa farmer in the blockbuster film Field of Dreams. Strangely, he was inspired by a voice he couldn't ignore, and that voice was encouraging him to pursue a dream he could hardly believe. And that voice said to him, build it, and they will come. Well, strangely enough, a couple years ago, I too heard a voice, and I believe it was God's voice, and it said, Janelle, create a podcast, and the listeners will come. And I'm happy to report that the podcast is growing. The last few months, we have had over 5,000 downloads. Heartlifters, that's a lot of people receiving hope and help and healing. I want to invite you today. Please come join me on this remarkable journey. I want to party with you. I want to journey together. Every month we'll meet, we'll have conversations, Q&As, we'll talk about themes and ideas and concepts and figure out ways that we can be more effective and help more people. So I'd love to have you come be a part of one of my circles of trust. There are three different tiers that you can join and you can learn all about it over on JanelleRairdon.com slash podcast. Everything you need to know is right there. Once you get to JanelleRairdon.com slash podcast, you'll see a blue bar with a green button and it says, yes, I want to be a patron of the podcast. Just click on that and we are on this journey together. And then I write once again that most damaging whisper of all, when and if you show your true self, Janelle, who you really are, nobody will love you. You will be all alone. Just as I read it again, tears form in my eyes. Every time I read it, I get tears in my eyes. And I remember the words of the famed late 18th, early 19th century Bible scholar F.B. Meyer in his commentary on John 4. He notes that Jesus had to evoke the naked story of her past by saying, go, call your husband. With keen spiritual and psychological insights, he writes, what a train of memory that word husband evoked for the woman at the well. I mean, Jesus was our eternally amazing trauma therapist. (laughs) He knew the word husband would evoke a neural pathway filled with negatively charged emotions that needed to be cleared. But why awake such memories, writes F.B. Meyer? Why open the cupboard door and bid that skeleton down? Why lay bare that life secret? It could not be otherwise. The wound must be probed to the bottom and cleansed so it can be healed. I'm going to read that again. The wound must be probed to the bottom and cleansed, or as I would say in my work in trauma therapy, clearing, clearing, clearing all the aspects of the wounds so that we have made sense of them, we've made meaning with them, and we have uh, just (sighs) placed them as a piece of our story. There's no more shame connected to them. There must be confession before forgiveness. This woman must judge her past sins in the light of those pure eyes 
or she could know, so she could know the bliss of the fountain opened within her soul. And my friends, that's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus I met a long time ago. He was a man with pure, piercing eyes who looked deeply through my eyes and into my aching, lost soul. He was a man who invited me to change. Jesus said back to me in my senior year of college early in September, beginning of October, Janelle, I'm here. I see you. I love you. I care for you. I know the pain you're in. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to invite you into a lavish river of grace. If only I had really known that back in the day. I got it, but I now fully have it takes a while to fully release yourself and to do the hard heart work and to clear all the negative emotions that are locked up in our neural pathways. You see, I had heard about Jesus growing up Sunday after Sunday. I sat in the pew of my Catholic church. I attended catechism classes during my formative years, and I even considered for a brief post-college period becoming a nun. I really did. So I knew of Jesus, that is. I had head knowledge, but it wasn't until I had my very own ancient well experience on that stainless steel examination table that I write about in the beginning that I actually met Jesus for the first time. That point in my life, head knowledge, became a deep heart connection. Here in the sacred intersection of head and heart, authentic faith, which is based on relationship, not an established religious system, is born. And this is where our heart shift from shaming to gracing, will happen, and nothing is ever the same again. I love what respected theologian Philip Yancey writes in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Jesus invoked a different kind of power, love, not coercion. No one who meets Jesus ever stays the same. Dear Heartlifter, here as we close, perhaps your God narrative, your perception or thoughts or first encounters with Jesus have been blurred, broken, bruised, or even forced on you in a religious manner with very strict rules, restrictions, regulations, and rituals. Do this. Don't do that. Maybe you've been in a religious system that doesn't share Jesus's radical acceptance of women. Oh, I completely understand. I have been there. But today I want to ask you, take a few minutes out of your day to pause and reflect on what we've talked about today, shifting from shaming to gracing, to knowing that you are inherently valuable, that God breathed his life into you so that you could live a life with him, walking and talking to him. Don't let the words sin, confession, or repentance scare you. Don't. They are theological terms that we don't hear very much anymore, but simply put, they are invitations to face the naked story of our past. As our theological scholar F.B. Meyer told us, yes, so powerful. Face the naked story of your past, and in doing so, ask God for forgiveness in order to move forward into your new God-breathed story. Eugene Peterson, the great Eugene Peterson, writes that repentance means a man should reverse directions, change the mode of life to which he had become accustomed, and reorient himself. Repentance is not a word of feeling at all. It's a word of action. So I invite you 
this week as you read through tool four to take that time, allow some space to saunter, to sit, and to see. And you're going to turn to Strength Training for the Soul, our beautiful heart-lifting exercises at the end of every tool. This one is page 129 to 132, and you'll work through Envision, which is once again just taking the time to sit in John 4, verses 1 through 42 in Lexio Divina fashion, placing yourself in the story. See a circumstance, a conversation, or a chaotic period in your life through the eyes of this caring, concerned man called Jesus and through the lens of grace. Just like I model this for you in this chapter, in this tool, I start with my story and I model how to reframe that and to shift it from shaming to gracing. In the Educate a Time to Learn, we um, we do a very powerful exercise and we ask ourselves again that that big question, what damaging whispers have pummeled your thought life and stalled your movement forward? Maybe be present or maybe past. What has stalled you from moving forward? Is there one shame whisper that's louder than all the other whispers? You're going to reconcile with that in a quiet place once again. This is a very contemplative week. It's a time to invite the silence, the stillness, and the solitude. And then establish a time to build. You're going to use the chart that I have based on um, when grace writes your story and when shame writes your story. And it's based on 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. It's always available, regardless of the situation. You see, my sweet heart lifter. My power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. You're going to look at when grace writes your story and when shame writes your story. And always remember, dear Heartlifter, that you are clothed in strength and dignity with nothing to fear. You can smile at your future. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairden.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.